And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. Of course, it is the hot day edition of The Real Investment Show. That means uh, Danny Ratliff will be joining me here shortly to talk about stuff. Um, you know, <laughs> just joking. <laughs> but a couple of things to be looking at. Yesterday, markets did sell off again. Now, this is kind of playing right into this whole thesis that we laid out a couple of weeks ago, suggesting that the first couple of weeks of December typically tend to be a little bit sloppy because we, right now we're right in the middle of mutual fund distributions and, and those type of things. Of course, the markets had a very nice rally from those uh, from those lows that we had back in very late September. And we had written an article on our website. If you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, there's an article entitled, The Big Short Squeeze is Coming, written September the 27th. And that's where we were talking about this extremely oversold condition in the markets. That would set up for this rally uh, in the market since then. And then part of that reason was, of course, the, the stock buybacks, which have been just running about $5 billion a day. And that's been helping lift these asset prices so far. But of course, financial conditions, that's the one big issue. And we've talked about this before. Now, next week on today, one, exactly one week from today, next Wednesday, uh, the, Federal, the Federal Reserve, the FOMC meeting uh, will conclude and we will have the presser from Jerome Powell. Well, they will probably announce a 50 basis point rate hike. Now, the one thing is, is of course, is that we had the Fed whisperer out. We talked about this yesterday saying that you know, the Fed is going to probably be more aggressive. Now, again, next Wednesday, expect a much more aggressive Jerome Powell. Now, at the last uh, Brookings Institution speech that he gave last week that caused that big pop in the market, that was where he said, yeah, we're going to slow the pace of rate hikes. And that was all the markets heard. And that meant pivot and, you know, the, the, the market's going to go up from here and, and it's all going to be great. Um, that's not the case. When the market rallies, as we've talked about before, that eases financial conditions, exactly the opposite of what the Fed wants. And so these financial conditions are getting to the point that it is becoming conducive to creating consumer demand, right? So now we have to go back to understand this. We need to go back to 2010 for a moment. In 2010, we had just finished up quantitative easing part one. And I was, of course, coming out of the financial crisis. And I know there's a lot of people that don't remember all this, but we'd come out of the financial crisis in, in late 2008, early March 2009, market bottoms. And this was because the Fed was doing quantitative easing one. Of course, at the same time, President Barack Obama at the time doing HAMP, HARP. We had TARP going on. We were just throwing billions and billions of dollars into the economy to try to get it kind of off its, off its duff and, and back into action. And that worked. And of course, quantitative easing ran out in June of 2010. So the first round of quantitative easing ended in June of, of 2010. Markets began to sell off that summer. And in September, Ben Bernanke comes out and says, we're going to do another round of quantitative easing. And our goal here is that we have two mandates. And those mandates are, of course, price stability and full employment. But we're going to do quantitative easing, too, to boost asset prices in order to boost consumer confidence, which will feed back into the economy. 
And that was really the first mention by a Federal Reserve member about the importance of financial conditions and how it relates to consumer demand. If I lift asset prices, people feel better, right? It creates what's called a wealth effect. And this is the whole idea is that if I boost asset prices by doing quantitative easing, it creates a wealth effect and that allows people to go spend more money because they feel better about themselves. It doesn't mean they have more money, right? It just means they feel better, right? They look at their 401k plan and it's gone up some, so they feel better. So they'll go ahead and, and reach out, maybe take on a little bit more debt, whatever it is, and spend money. And that helps boost economic growth because 70% of the, the economy is based on what? Spending, right? It's what you and I spend. That's why holiday spending is always so very important. So why Black Friday is incredibly important for economic growth. So financial conditions, very important. But the problem with financial conditions being easier or improving, right? is that it also leads to that consumer demand, which leads to inflation. What's the Fed trying to get rid of right now? They're trying to stop the pace of inflation, right? So how do we get rid of inflation? As they've been talking about, they need unemployment to come up. They need to see the unemployment rate come up. We need, we need people to lose their jobs. We need the economy to slow down. We need people to spend less money. We need to do things that create a drag on economic demand because that's what brings prices down, right? So if we want to get inflation down, you have to slow the economy. And of course, the balancing act is not to trip the economy up into a really deep recession where you get deflation. That's the other problem for the Fed. But nonetheless here, markets are playing out exactly like we talked about right? First couple of weeks, we're going to finish up the first two weeks next week, right? So here we are, sloppy first two weeks. That potentially sets up the market for a bit of rally into the year. Now, be careful with this whole idea of a Santa Claus rally. Santa Claus rallies happen more often than not because it's mutual funds rebalancing and doing quarter end, uh, actual year end window dressing for their reporting. That's what leads to those, those kind of last two weeks of the year kind of rally in the markets doesn't mean it has to happen right so don't go betting the farm on the santa claus rally because it may not happen but historically speaking first couple of weeks of december tend to be a little bit sloppy then you get this rally into the end of the year first five days of january tend to be kind of more bullish because you have a lot of monetary inflows february and march tend to be a lot more problematic because you have less inflows so again couple of things, you know, kind of playing out here as we talked about here. Importantly, yesterday we did trigger that MACD sell signal. And of course, this is the one thing that we've been watching here very closely is because this, that one signal has been a very good indicator this year to either increase risk or reduce risk in portfolios. And yesterday we did trigger that MACD sell signal suggesting that a little bit more cautious stance, at least for the time being going into the end of the year, may not be a bad idea. Now, doesn't always, again, that's an, another thing that's it's not 100% proven. So again, don't go sell everything and short the market based on this one signal. But it does suggest and typically tends to work out where you should be a little bit more cautious about how you place money and where you place money in the overall market. So again, just, just be aware of that. Another indicator that we've uh, you know, been talking about here recently and it also triggered a buy signal, which is, an, which is an inverse relationship to the stock market, is the volatility index. We talked about the volatility index, the volatility index getting well below 20. That's typically where markets have peaked all year long. And yesterday, really last couple of days, 
that volatility index has been rising, triggered a buy signal uh, on the volatility index, suggesting higher volatility in the short term, which would also equate to what we were talking about just a second ago, lower asset prices. So again, kind of things are lining up right here. Doesn't mean the market's gonna crash. Doesn't mean the market's gonna fall off the, the planet by 10, 15% over the next week or two. It does suggest weaker, weaker price movement. So again, as we kind of keep coming back to and just reiterating, use this, this rally that we've had. We've had a nice rally from the lows. Use that rally to reduce some risk, rebalance your portfolios, take a little bit of action. If you haven't done anything, take a little bit of action heading into year end. Again, doesn't mean sell everything because again, we're just managing markets, but the one thing we may wanna do is be a little bit more risk averse. Think about where I can put asset prices or put assets that'll give me a little bit more protection. And again, you know, just as you as we continue to talk about these things, you know, bonds have been performing very well, also on a very kind of overbought level here. So again, uh, look for a pullback here in fixed income if you want to add to that position in your portfolio as well. Okay, quick break. We'll come back, pick up with Danny Ratliff. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. So this morning, uh, Danny Ratliff, Certified Financial Planner, joining me this morning. Uh, a few things to get into. I, I want to finish up our conversation uh, a little bit about, uh, you know, on the market where it is right now. And again, we, we, we laid out this premise a couple of weeks ago that the first two weeks of December would likely be fairly sloppy. Um, a lot of reasons for that historically. And again, this typically tends to be the case. The first couple of weeks of December tend to have pretty muted, muted, muted. I'll get that word out this morning. Um, price action uh, tends not to do a whole lot. Doesn't mean it declines a bunch. Uh, doesn't mean it falls off the cliff, anything like that. But it tends to be a little bit weak because mutual funds are making their annual distributions. Then you get the last couple of weeks of the year where the market rallies fairly decently. And um, that's because of window dressing, those type of things. So those are things that are going on. And, you know, we've been talking about now kind of ad nauseum for the last three weeks about taking profits on this rally. And, and of course, we've, as, you know, as you know, at SimpleVisor.com, um, we post all of our trades. So whenever we make a trade, we, we post the trade there. And, and we've been selling um, over the last couple of weeks. And our goal has been to get our equity exposure down to about 35% of the portfolio, which is about where we are right now. And... This is this is just a kind of a function of that risk management process. So, you know, we've been preparing for this bit of a sell-off that we're having in the markets right now for the last several weeks. So now that we're getting the sell signal, there's not a need for us to go panic and, and start trying to sell a bunch of stuff because 
we've already done that work in advance of this. And, and that's, that's part and parcel of the risk management process that we go through. But again, if you haven't taken any action, if you haven't done anything, then this is a good time to go ahead and start thinking about rebalancing that portfolio a bit. So, you know, there's there's some things here that that suggest some additional weakness. And once we get into next year, you know, that's where really kind of the rubber is going to hit the road, so to speak, with all these Fed rate hikes and those type of things. Can we have a soft landing scenario? Do we avoid a recession? Uh, do we avoid an earnings recession? You know, depending on who you listen to, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, wherever. I mean, it's all over the board. Nobody knows. And that's when we have to just kind of navigate these things as best we can. Um, and again, we've got next week, we've got the Fed coming out. I would expect them to be a bit more hawkish because of Jerome Powell's experience at his last speech. He's not going to do that again by coming out and making a statement that can be taken very dovishly and markets go running off again, right? He's not going to do that. So he's going to be more hawkish, I suspect. Again, I could be wrong. Um, but I think that he's not only going to reiterate his position on hiking rates, but allude to the fact they may have to hike rates more because of what's going on with wage uh, wage prices as well as just you know overall inflationary pressures right now in the market. So anyway, uh, important thing is is don't mistake what I'm saying and say you know oh I have to go sell everything. That's not what I'm saying. You do not want to be 100% cash because this market can do a lot of very different things. And just because the market is as as a whole is going down doesn't mean that every stock in the index is going down. So you know it's it's an, what, what you want to try to do is navigate this market not try to time it. Time it is going to, you're going to really make a mistake trying to time the market eventually because this market's going to, this market's been all over the place this year and going into next year is going to be just as volatile, I suspect. Danny, your, any comments? I just have stuff. <laughs> you have stuff? <laughs> no, I can't. No, I think that's a good point. I, I think that, you know, we can make an argument that many times, just throughout this year with all the volatility, we could have, in June, I mean, people were panicking saying, hey, we got to get out. Um, and that would have been a mistake because we saw a nice run up. Same thing goes yeah. for, you know, we get into end of September, October. Um, you know, so I think we have to be cautious with this. And if you've been following along for a while, you, you kind of understand our sentiment and how we address these issues. And so the, you know, we look at technical indicators, but I think that everybody's, you know, kind of freaking out at the moment. Yeah. You see signals begin to change. Say, oh, shoot, what do we need to do? We need to get out. Um, but that could be a mistake getting all the way out. Things can change quickly. And I think that's the point that, that you're making here. Yeah. And that's the biggest aspect of this is that we try to rationalize all, all of these, all this information and you try to use it to the best of your ability. But we also, you know, sentiment is, I think, what most people rationalize versus the indicators. And marrying those two together is a difficult thing for many because it's so emotional. Yeah. And emotionally, we could say, hey, this, we, we could make a pretty big cons list. We can make a pros list too. Mm -hmm. I tell people every day, look, we can make an argument for both sides. And, and I think we could see this play out either way, but we want to be more cautious at this stage. And if you've been doing the work, you're likely already there. Yeah, is no, really the point. Yeah, it is. And and you know this is and this is the problem though. You know, you know even being really underweight equities right now, which is where we are. The problem is is that if this market takes off screaming for for you know example, Jerome Powell comes up next next Wednesday and says I'm not saying he will, but just assume he comes out next Wednesday. So you know what, we've kind of evaluated everything. We've hiked enough. We're done. Yeah. This market is going to scream. And at 35% equity, we're going to way lag that rally initially. We're going to have to very quickly ramp up exposure to try to catch up with the market. So that's one of the risks of being underweighted. Now, imagine that you're zero weight or short, right? 
you can damage your portfolio very quickly. And this has been a very tough market to short this year. You know, right at the times you think, man, you know, everything's as bearish as it can get. And you're reading headlines where the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. You know, it's like, oh, man, I'm going to short the markets. And then this market takes off running. And this has done it several times this year. It's been a very tough market this year to short. It's been a very tough market to hedge because there's been a lot of volatility. It's been great for trading. Um, you know, several times this year we've added exposure, then we've taken it off. We've added exposure, taken it off. You know, but overall, it's just been a very tough market. And, and that's not surprising um, given the run-up that we had last year with basically no volatility. As we've said, we wrote an article last year talking about low volatility begets high volatility. Well, you're welcome. Here it is. <laughs> you know, um, but again, it's just very important as to, you know, managing money is not about being all in or all out. It is a function of navigating the risk. And, you know, even when you're, and we talk, we look, we equate a lot of stuff back to, to gambling and poker because that's effectively what investing is because we're speculating on future asset prices. We're speculating on what type of hand we're going to get or, or what the number well, is going to be on the roulette wheel. At, it, least, it, at least some of these things have some intrinsic value versus. Well, I know, but the, but the idea is the same, is, is the same right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm buying an asset with a value, supposedly, but, you know, there is no value from one day to the next in that paper. It's just really what people are willing to pay for, it, right? Correct. I mean, so that's all yeah. it is. And so we're betting on these future prices. Um, and that's why there's so many comparisons back to when you're risk-sizing your portfolio, when you're taking positions. You, there's a lot of equations and a lot of things that go back to gambling uh, because of that and, and say, okay, if I've got a poor hand, I don't bet a lot of money, right? And right now, the hand is fairly weak in terms of buy and sell signals. There's, you know, while yes, we're getting a sell signal right now, it's like, oh my gosh, we need to go sell it. Just one, it's one sell signal. <laughs> I've got five more uh, potentially and, and important ones, right? So if you take our, our if you take a look at our weekly uh, 401k plan manager, it's on weekly buy signals. That indicator is a longer term portfolio management structure for 401k plans. That's on buy signals and just triggered buy signals. And that suggests that the bear market is actually over. Do you buy that? I'm not so sure yet. But what I'm saying is you got to be careful between looking at very short-term indicators and long-term indicators and then trying to marry all this stuff together. It's not, you know, the, the message isn't that clear. And when you don't have a really clear aligned message across time frames, you want to be a little bit more careful with, with the type of risk you're either taking on or taking off. Well, I think that's a really good point is that, you know, Right now, I think there's a lot of people going into retirement, some some forced. I mean, word on the street right now is, look, lots of layoffs, right? Yeah. And lots more layoffs potentially coming after Christmas. That, that's what everybody thinks is that, hey, they're going to wait, let everybody get through Christmas. Then you see the ax fall. Yep. And that's yeah, what I you mean, think? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, companies don't want to really ax people right before Christmas and ruin their Christmas. You know, they're like, well, I, you know, I can hang on to them for another month or so. But yeah, you know, come after so New kind. Year's. Yeah, you know, some 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 are, some aren't. Yeah. Uh, but you know, come after you know, come January, uh, February, I wouldn't be surprised to start seeing layoffs tick up a bit. So as we continue to see layoffs tick up, I mean, looking at the consumer as far as how they've been strapped, I mean, I think that we have another problem, not just from a, a technical issue at the moment with mm -hmm. markets, but you know, what what do people do at this moment, right? I mean, you have a lot of people, baby boomers, retiring each and every day. Uh, largest generation stepping out of the workforce, obviously did not have as many children, so demographic issues already, mm -hmm. but then you have a, a slowing economy, an economy that's been inf inflated artificially for, you know, especially since the pandemic, but even prior to that. Yep. 
And and now you have people trying to plan for retirement. And I think this is tough because you know, I'm looking at and helping people with financial plans. And let me tell you, not everybody's cutting back. They think they're cutting back, but they're still spending the same amount of money. Right. You know, and so that's the issue or sometimes even more. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things, Lance, what, what does somebody need to do at this time as you're stepping into retirement? I think that many people are, are looking at and we get tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. We think about what's in front of us at the moment or actually usually it's what behind what's behind. It's not necessarily what's in front of us. So as, as you're trading into something like this or investing, I guess, is what we should really say. Right. You know, what should most people be looking at? Well, I mean, you know, this is I'm actually writing an article on this and this is something else we can talk a little bit about more when we come back. But, you know, over the last 12 years and I talked I touched on this a little bit yesterday, but over the last 12 years, we injected 43 trillion dollars into the economy. Um, and a lot of people don't remember this stuff. Right. But you have to go back to, you know, 2007. 2008, where we the the Fed started the Maiden Lane bailout program, and we started bailing out Bear Stearns, and then we bailed out this, and we bailed out that, we bailed out Lehman, and you know so forth, and Goldman Sachs, and all these other things, and um, then of course you did quantitative easing and HAMP and HARP and TARP and all these different programs, but so you accumulate all those right from that point, from that 2008 financial crisis to current, and this includes the latest you know uh, quantitative easing program of 1.2 trillion you know, a month by the Fed, um, you know, you are have spent $43 trillion in basically supporting economic growth and, and financial markets. Now, going forward over the next decade, what are you going to do? You've, as Danny's right, you've got one of the largest generation now becoming withdrawers of assets from the markets, not contributors, and you're going to have a lot less monetary intervention. So at, at, at least... You have to start thinking about lower rates of return. Doesn't mean, I'm not talking about a bear market every year, right? But not getting 12% a year like we saw over the last decade, a return to normalcy and maybe slightly below that of thinking about 5 and 6% rates of return over the next decade or more, right? You know, be right back after the break. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. So just talk a little bit about, you know, the next decade going forward. And this is important because, you know, as we left off talking about the last 12 years of the market, we had 12% annualized rates of return. Now, everybody's gotten very used to that. I was like, oh, that's the way it should be, right? Don't markets return 12% every year? And, you know, I I get emails from people. It's like, oh, if I can just get 10% a year on my portfolio, I'm good. Um, Good luck with that. The reason that you had those 12% rates of return was because of an abnormally large amount of liquidity being injected in markets. Now, think about this for a moment. 
Since 2008, we have spent $43 trillion in bailouts to get $4 trillion worth of economic growth over 12 years. Right? That's not a huge growth rate in ec economic growth. You spent $10 for every dollar's worth of economic growth. That gave you that 12% rate of return, all that excess liquidity. As we go forward, it's simply we, are, we, are un, we will be unable to continue to do that type of monetary interventions. Even if the Fed does go back to QE, we're not going to be spending doing HAMP and HARP and TARP and all these other things, right? So $5 trillion in stimulus checks, et cetera. Unless we get into a super deep, you know, economic recession and, and everybody decides that we need to send checks again. Again, that will be the status quo bailout of the next recession, by the way. But it's unlikely we're going to be able to repeat $43 trillion over 12 years. Um, just start thinking about our debt and deficit, right, where that's going to be. But the, the problem is, is that historically from 2008, from 1900 to 2008, the average rate of return was 8%. We talked about this the other day. That's 6% economic growth on average, 2% inflation. That's what gives you your earnings, and that's why earnings and returns have averaged about 8%. That's 6% growth in earnings plus 2% um, inflation. So we added four percentage points to returns over the last 12 years because of all these monetary interventions. If you just take those monetary interventions away, we're going to go back to economic growth and inflation. What is economic growth today? 2%. What's inflation? Will be 2%. That's what, the, that's what the economies will average. So now you're talking about 4% growth, four, five, six, you know, at periods of time. So again, you know, when you're thinking about your financial plan, and of course, this, and then once you add on this demographic problem of all these people coming out of the economy, baby boomers, withdrawing assets rather than being contributors, that's going to drag on that, that growth rate in assets even more. So again, these are the things you have to think about going forward when you're planning for your retirement, et cetera. And there's lots of other problems out there, right? There's the debt problem. We've got tons of debt. You've got dollar problems. That's an issue. You know, but those are things that are very far off in the future. You know, there's, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, the debt's going to blow up any day now. No, it's not. Um, you can refinance debt. And as long as interest rates remain fairly low, 4% is cheap, by the way. Um, if I was like refinance debt at 3 4 5%, I'm okay. Interest rates get to 8 9 10 12%, I'm not okay. Right. So, you know, but that's why debt problems can be shoved off for quite a while. So, you know, while the debt is a problem and it will lead to slower rates of economic growth, lower inflation, uh, disinflationary environments, it's not necessarily going to blow up tomorrow. And so, you know, investing on that type of end of the world scenario is not going to work out well for you. Well, and it slows things down, right? I mean, we are seeing that now I'm hearing from people who are saying, hey, look, it is eight, nine, 10 percent. You want to go buy a used car? Mm hmm. You want to go refinance? That's, that's not what the world finances at. Well, that's not what the world's financing yeah. it, but that's what middle America's financing it. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so that's where I think that you move the needle, and that's where we have bigger problems. And so, you know, always think back, and to put things in context, that think back to like 08. Any time after that, you go to, go look at a fun fact sheet, if you could go find one, or, or, just, <laughs> or, or just online at any big mutual fund ETF provider, yep. they hit performance. You couldn't find it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, after 2018, because you know 2008 rolls off the books, yeah. And now you have the 10-year returns again. Now you have, you know, they're showing these longer rates and say, "Oh, look how great it is!" But like you mentioned, look at all the liquidity. Yeah. That QE certainly helps. So now that you can't say that, listen, we're going to take this away. 
and it's not going to have a similar impact. Right. I'm actually writing an article right now because about every month or so, somebody writes an article about, you know, mutual funds don't, you know, can't outperform their index. So why do you own a mutual fund? And it's, and it's very deceiving because, again, when you look at mutual fund returns, they, they show you one, three, five, and 10-year returns as an example. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like when times get tough, they kind of hide the, the returns. Yeah. But it depends on all those returns are based on the function that you invested in year one. If you invested in year four, your returns were drastically different. If you invested in year six, your returns were drastically different. So those one, three, five, 10-year returns are very misleading in terms of what you're going to get on performance. But here's the important thing. There's a New York Times article by Jeff Sumner out. Uh, yesterday, and this is the spur of my article, he says, he, say, he says, not one mutual fund has outperformed their index consistently. That is true. That is an absolutely true statement. Nobody on an active management basis will beat their benchmark every single year. But you know where the best place to invest is? It's not an index fund. It's an active fund. Because if there's a whole host of funds, and I'll give you just one. It's not even a mutual fund. Ever heard of this little company? It's called Berkshire Hathaway. It's actively managed. It has crushed the index over the last 25, 30 years. So if you'd invested in Berkshire Hathaway or the S&P index, which one would you have rather had over the last 30 years? And this is what's important about investing is not the year-over-year performance. We've talked about you know, before you know, the big mistake that investors make is they go back and look at the beginning of this year and say, well, at the beginning of this year, I was at $100,000 and now I'm at $90,000 and I'm losing money. But two years ago, you were at $80,000. So you still have a positive wealth effect. And this is what the Fed talks about, this positive wealth effect. You know, you've got to keep your perspective about what things are going in. But the reason that, that you know, Wall Street tells you these these kind of asinine stories about, well, no mutual fund has ever outperformed its index every year. It's to, it's to get you to move money, right? And so when you start moving money, that creates fees. The question you have to ask yourself is, if I'm moving into a portfolio that's buy and hold index funds, what are you paying for, right? What are you paying an advisor for? You're actually paying to trail the index. Yeah. And by the way, not one ETF has ever beaten the index, just one index ETF, right? And, so, and yeah. yeah, no index. Sorry, let me let me clarify that. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to yeah, be like, yeah. wait, hold on here. Look at this one. Well, yeah. I know, but, you know, when you yeah, double leveraged ETFs will do the trick for you. Well, it's, it's certain years, right? But they're going to yeah. turn on you, too. Uh, absolutely. But no, it, no, no ETF, if it is an index-based ETF or an ETF that tracks a sector or whatever, will ever outperform that sector or that index because of the expense ratio that it includes. Not even the Vanguard S&P 500 index has beaten the index because the index has no fees or expenses. But it's not designed to either, right? Well, it's no, designed no. to participate in the index, Well, right? no, it's designed to track. Like the, Correct. The Vanguard ETF is designed to track the S&P 500. It's going and to it mirror does. it minus it, the fee. My, that's the point. But though. the fee is minimal. The fee is, the fee is minimal, but over 20 years, it adds up to an 8% drag under the index. So the point is, is be careful. The whole point of this is, is to be careful about what you read. These headlines saying, hey, you know, why are you investing as active fund manager? Sequoia Fund, Dodging Cox, um, Peter Lynch's Magellan Fund. These funds have crushed the indexes. Uh, American, American Funds, growth, and, uh, growth Fund, has crushed the S&P 500 over 25, 30 years. So again, just you know, be careful of these headlines when you're investing because they have very big ramifications about what you're doing with your money. And money in motion creates fees. Just remember that. 
So, all right. Sorry, I got off, I'll get off my soapbox now. No, I, I think these are all good points. I think the one thing you mentioned earlier in the segment was talking about returns and how they need to be adjusted, especially, you know, we talk about this frequently with planning. Listen to the Financial Fitness Friday edition with, with Rich and I. We, we talk about what you should be concerned with and how many people's plans are they're thrown off track now, Lance, because we had these plans, or, and we didn't, but some people did, where they did assume for the 8 9 10% every year. And when you don't get it and you never assume for a down year, you're getting just you're getting plumbled, right? Yeah. And, and so now I think that the, the issue is when do you start adjusting plan returns? Do you start adjusting them down? I mean, I think you should have already done that, right? Or do you now start to say, hey, at some point in the future, we're going to have the wind at our back. So, but how far is that light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you know, we're going to get through whatever the cycle is, and then we'll, you know, get to the next. You know, the the fortunate thing is is here's the good news: bear market cycles are fairly short. So 18, 24 months usually. And then we get back into the next bull market cycle. What that looks like, I think, is going to be an entirely different story. But, you know, we're going to get through this sloppy period and we're going to back into a period where asset prices are trending higher more often than not. And thank goodness, because it'll be a much easier market to invest in. <laughs> but I think it'll still be challenging as, as we kind of go forward, because we have a lot of overhangs with debt and other stuff that, I think are going to continue to weigh on markets uh, and particularly a lot of these decisions that we're making politically um, uh, that have an effect on our economy about how we're spending money and where, you know, the function of just fact our mandatory spending, which is interest on the debt and then all of your Social Security welfare. Right. Those five. That's, that's all your mandatory mandatory spending that now consumes more than 100 percent of all of our tax revenue. So everything else we want to spend is all coming out of debt. And, and that's, going to have a, that's going to weigh on the economy going forward. It's going to create disinflation. It's going to create def deflation in the future. Um, it's, it's going to continue to widen the wealth gap. I mean, those are just things we're going to... And, and again, when we start talking about these more socialistic, Marxist-type policies that we want to, you know, free college and all these other things, it sounds great. Somebody's got to pay for it. And if somebody else is paying for it, that means that's further dragged to the economy at some point. So, you know, it's just... You know, we aren't. You know, the 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 fixes aren't going to be very nice when we have to get there. But eventually, we'll have to fix it, and that'll be down the road, though. Hopefully, I won't be in the business anymore because <laughs> it'll be 30, 40 years from now. I'll be dead anyway. Buy now, uh, pay later. That never works out. Well. Exactly. Uh, real, real quick, we come back. Uh, we've been talking a lot about year-end tax planning. A couple other things to touch on before year-end wraps up because uh, deadlines are starting to approach. We'll get back with that with Daniel Bratliff right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. All right, so it's been a pretty depressing conversation this morning. But the takeaway is this, is that Look, there's there's lots of reasons to be 
bearish on your outlook and and that's fine there's nothing wrong with it but you know don't manage your portfolio based on things that may be very far off into the future as we talked about before you know trying to avoid a problem can wind up costing you more problems than the than the problem itself right and you know more money is lost in the markets trying to avoid a bear market than actually being in the bear market so just just be cautious here just Take everything for what it is, factor it into the thought process. When you talk to your financial planner, say, these are the things I'm worried about. Let's factor in some, some protections for that in terms of allocation and those type of things, but then manage that risk accordingly as it goes. Okay, but as we've been talking about, time is running short because this is already, uh, checking my watch here, December the 7th. <sighs> Christmas is right around the corner. Have you done your Christmas shopping yet, Danny? You know, we've done a little better than usual. I feel like we're we're a little bit ahead of the ball here. The I want to give you some words of encouragement. Okay. I'm going to give you something to look forward to. As your kids get older, right, now that my kids are, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, right, it becomes very easy to shop for them. Basically, it's online, AirPods, done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's so, you know, it, it's a whole lot easier to shop as they get older. Yeah, um, it's it, it's it's tough because they're all so different in my household, and yeah. so they're all different stages and, and want similar things, but also their own things. And so um, we are, you know, we're whittling our list down. Yeah. My son, though, like each one has their love language, right? I mean, I'm sure you you've seen that with your kids; yeah, yeah. they're all different. And my middle one, he is, um, he, he is certainly the gift kid. And so last night and. Michelle, if y'all are listening, this would be a time to cut it off. Um, <laughs> last night, she comes to me and says, hey, um, FYI, James really wants to get you a Nolan Ryan baseball. Well, just so happens, went to church on Sunday, went to the mall. First time I've been in years. I highly discourage you from attending <laughs> this, this event. Do not go to the mall. It is terrible. We started off early. We left. It was, I mean, yeah, it was bad. Um, but um, we went to a sports store. And I have this Nolan Ryan jersey in the house in my office that was framed. I met Nolan Ryan years ago, um, actually had him sign, put some additional stuff on there. So, you know, growing up, Nolan Ryan was the man. And so... Yeah, for, for most people listening to the audience, Nolan Ryan was a baseball player. Hey, man, the guy played for like 30 years. Everybody knows Nolan Ryan. And he didn't play just here, right? And, and he now he makes stakes. New York, he played all over the place. Yeah. So... Not Air just conditioning commercials. Not just a baseball player. Hey, and now he he's got sausage and exactly. I mean, anyway, yeah. finish up your story. So, anyways, he goes to my wife says, "Listen, mom, I've been saving money. I've got a hundred bucks. I found a baseball. We went to the store. I guess it was like and he recognized he's eight years old. He recognized it was two hundred seventy dollars, which is way more than I'm going to spend on you, buddy. So, uh, <laughs> but he he said, "Hey, Dad, hey, mom, I've got a hundred bucks. I've set aside to to buy some Christmas stuff. I want to get Dad this baseball. Will you buy the other hundred seventy? She's like, "What do I tell him? It's like, "Tell him no." But you you buy it. Tell just tell her to go to the store, buy a baseball, just at the store. Write Nolan Ryan on it. In blue ink. In blue ink. Yeah. See, he's the one though. He is. He's very particular and he's very smart. He's going to be like, no, we have to go. I have to pick the specific ball out, and which is crazy because I don't. I mean, just just tell, just say I, I found it online for a hundred bucks or fifty <laughs> or twenty five bucks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Help the kid out, right? The I know, help I know, you. I'm just trying to help you out so he can give you a <laughs> gift that will mean a lot to you. Yeah. Because he did this. Well, yesterday he traded some cards for like an old Astro, Billy Hatcher from like the 1980s. He's like, 
hey, Dad, look at this cool card I got. And I'm like, What'd you, how'd you get that? Well, I traded for you. I'm like, man, thanks, buddy. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, hey, don't trade stuff that means something to you. I mean, I've got all I need, you know? Like, thank you. But that's pretty sweet. cool. It's yeah. a very sweet kid. Good kid. That's, that's yeah. 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 Keep him, get rid of the other two. No, they're good. They're good. Because <laughs> as my kids were getting older, my kids, that you know, are Taliban, you know. So oh hey, I'm, listen, we're there too. So, you know, I've just been, I've been like you know people people are in times like like you know I miss this about my kids. I'll go hey, I got three. You can have them. Just you know, <laughs> take all you want. No, my kids are great kids. That'd be another stream of income. Just rent them out. It, it, I'm telling you, it could be the case. Just get a job. That's what you're doing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So anyway, um, all right. Getting ready for year-end tax planning. Deadlines are creeping up here. Uh, we talked about last week, uh, you know, if you're going to do some tax loss harvesting, you need to do that now. Um, so you'll have those gains, you know, those losses on your books offset gains for or income, uh, ordinary income for next year. Um, we also talked about if you want to do charitable gift giving, you want to do a donor-advised type fund, you need to get that started right away. It takes time to set that up, and we're running out of time because you got to get that done before the end of the year. Um, what other things have we missed here, Danny? There's a couple other items. You know, I think that people need to be to, to look and say, hey, have I maxed my 401k out? Um, those are things that you're not going to be able to come back to in 2023 and still make contributions for 2022. So, you know, we're making sure as we're visiting with clients, uh, hey, you guys still contributing to the 401k? Have you maxed out your HSA? You're likely only going to have one more, maybe two more pay periods that you're going to be able to actually do so. So this is a this is a, an ideal time. Now, I visited with somebody yesterday Lance, and they they have a unique situation with you need to start strategizing how you contribute to your 401k um, because sometimes we max them out way too early. We leave money on the table. Mm-hmm. This particular 401k had the company. We, I had to reread it a couple times. This company would match. In fact, they would match five fifty percent of the first thousand dollars you contribute. Well, so you think okay, the first thousand dollars I contribute all together. Well, no, it was actually per pay period. Mm-hmm. So you could essentially get 500 bucks a pay period. You're getting paid twice a month. That's $1,000. So you're looking at $12,000 you could potentially leave on the table if you're maxing that out early, which I know a lot of people do. You mentioned, you know, beginning of the yeah. year, 401k contributions come back for people who already matched, maxed that out. They're going in and they're getting rid of that very quickly. They may be putting quite a bit of their paycheck into it. And first several months or half first half of the year, they may be done. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can leave quite a bit on the table. So start strategizing, thinking about that. But number one, right now, specifically over the next three weeks, and really you probably need to start today, you need to make sure that you understand if you have any bandwidth to put some more funds aside, I would do so. Um, Look at the HSA if you've not contributed to that. Don't touch it. Put the funds in. Let those funds grow. I would go there, assuming you've already met your match, uh, what they're going to give you at work. And you had a little bit more to go somewhere. 401k, HSA, health savings account, go to the health savings account. You can't contribute a ton, but that's the only tax, that's the only account that's going to give you that triple tax benefit. So a great tool to utilize. Try not to spend it. You know, Lance, one thing that we hear all the time is that, well, I use it on on a regular basis, people that are working. And we confuse it so often with that flexible spending account that you have to spend and, and use each and every year. This one, you don't. You can roll those funds. You can use them. Um, I would grow that account because we know what the numbers are. In retirement, I mean, it's astronomical. For a couple of 65, you're looking at over $300,000 in medical expenses. So this is an area that I would make sure that you bolster up. So max the 401k out, max the HSA out. 
Um, not in that order, but certainly something that you need to do. And then, you know, your contributions for IRAs, you're still going to be able to continue to do that. But Roth conversions, if you're looking to do so, I would get the ball rolling now. You know, one thing that we are seeing is that we get towards the end of the year, we're already seeing that some of these these investment firms, I'm not going to say they're running on skeleton crews, but things are changing. We've seen a lot of mergers occur. Service has slowed down in some areas. And we know that people begin to start taking time off over the next couple of weeks which can and, and prolong firm, and and firms just close down for you know christmas yeah. and new years and i mean just gonna there's gonna be days you're like oh i gotta get this done and firms are gonna be closed day well b- before new year that's right, right. So, and so i mean we've been even trying to do so with our service team give them a break because we've just been you know these guys were pounding hard. them all year yeah. yeah and so um ideally we've set some some dates that we'd like to have a lot of stuff done to make sure that we mitigate a lot of that so that we're not all rushing to get things done on twelve thirty one. Which is which we know a lot of you do that. Exactly. It's okay. Let's get it done early though. Let's let's not have to worry about that. I mean, and for you guys, go ahead and knock these things off. Check that list. But and keep in mind, so the conversions are really big right now. The maxing uh, the accounts out are very big at the moment. But you can still contribute to the IRAs in twenty twenty three. So you may get a little bit better idea as far as what the income looks like and what you can and can't do. So you make sure that you you know you can take a deduction or you can even contribute you know, to like a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like we talked about last week, if you wanted to donorize, donor advised fund, that takes a little time to set up with a custodian, but that's a great way that's to- That's a 1231 day yeah, too. Yeah, that's a 1231 day. But that takes a, a week or so to set up. And again, we're this is now the first week of December is now behind us. So three weeks to go, but donor advised funds are great ways to uh, you know move assets and and get a tax deduction for that. Gifting, of course, you can, you can gift stock- uh, as a charitable donation. So like if you want to, normally if you tithe cash to your church out of your pocket, maybe think about taking a stock that hasn't been performing well for you, make that a charitable donation to your church. And that's stuff you just need to get done. Well, or the, yeah, it's been performing well because that way you or, avoid the capital gains, right? Yeah, true. I would that's rather you, I would rather you donate something that's done very well, take that off the off of your plate. You're not going to pay those income taxes on it. And Gift that to the church or to the yeah. the other charity that you you have in mind. So that's another really good point. RMDs, required minimum distributions, will have to be done. So qualified charitable distributions. If you're over seventy two, you're making you're making uh, charitable contributions. You can do that through the RMD. Really nice tool, nice way to do it. Also, if you're gifting outside of that, you can use the um, use appreciated stock. I'd get that off the books. Uh, sooner rather mm-hmm. than later, if that's the case. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, all these things you got to get done before the year end. And so yeah, I've been swamping Danny with a lot of emails. So go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. And uh, there's a ask a question at the top. Just say, hey, I, I, I want to you know, set up a donor advised fund or I want to do some charitable gifting. I need some help, whatever. Danny will answer every one of them within five minutes. So as soon as you email it, he'll be right back to you. Probably not, but he will take care of you. Uh, our whole team will. So we'll, we'll we'll make sure you get your questions answered. Uh, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, in the meantime, if you have any other questions or comments, you can also send those as well. We answer every question every day. Make sure that you're that you're getting the information that you need. Our latest blog post from Michael Leibowitz is out on the website today called Double Dog Dare You. So that's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow.